0: Hey, I'm DJ Soul Sister and welcome to another edition of Ask DJ Soul Sister. It is my special podcast where I get to answer all of your questions pertaining to any subject at all. Thanks to everyone who sent in questions over the past few weeks. And don't forget to keep on sending them. Just email AskDJSoulSister at gmail.com. Let's start things off with our questions for this episode. Is there a record that you know you can play that always gets a crowd engaged and grooving? That's our first question. And my answer to that is, you know, I always only play from my personal feeling, but the music that, or the artist rather, that will always make me feel the feeling no matter what is James Brown. I love James Brown's 70s recordings. The feeling that he conveys, no matter what song it is, always makes people excited. One song in particular I'll throw out is uh, Get Up Off of That Thing from 1976. Even the title of that song makes you want to move and groove. So, James Brown, Soul Brother Number One, at all times. Also, if you're not in the mood to crate dig for rare James Brown LPs or recordings, and most of them are available digitally, but if you want something, A little different, maybe a little more underground, there is a reissue label by the name of Family Groove Records that has been putting out some really interesting things, previously unreleased things. They just sent me a recording from Muscle Shoals, Alabama, of a group that's their recording never made the light of day. They discovered it and they've now reissued it, I'm assuming with the proper licensing and everything. The name of this song is Freak Call. Freak Call. So it sounds exactly like the title. It's wild. I love it. Rare Funk for the Dance Floor. Family Groove Records and James Brown. That's what I'm going to share with you on that one. Our next question. When did you realize that music was going to be your career? I never, ever thought of or considered music as a career. In fact, when I started DJing, That was always as a hobby. When I started with WWOZ and my radio show, which I began doing a show on the station when I was about 19 years old, that was as a volunteer hobby never thought of anything as a career but as it goes when you do things in your life that you love and you're dedicated to and you would do for free no matter what because you love them so much a lot of times those things wind up manifesting in a way that can be considered as a career so the fact that music has become a part of my life I guess, as a career, is completely accidental. But I love music so much. So I guess it was inevitable. But you hear stories about that all the time. When you love things, when you love something so much, and you would do it all the time, if you stick with it, then it will stick with you. Our next question. What has kept you in New Orleans instead of moving to another big music city like New York or Los Angeles? I have never considered moving anywhere because New Orleans is is home. I'm born and raised here. And I will tell you, though, after Katrina, I spent a couple of months in New York and I spent a few weeks in Los Angeles. So I, I, I always like to say that New York is my second home because I love it so much. But New Orleans is home. I've never considered moving at all. Next question, why did you want to come back to Loyola to do this podcast? Tell us more about your past history with Loyola's radio station. Okay, so I spent a lot of time on the Instagram webs and saw that the Loyola Music Business Program was starting a podcast program And I reached out to the organizers to see if I could get involved because people have always come up to me and asked me if I had a podcast and they said that they would listen. And I thought it was a cool idea, but I am not that technical of a person. I'm not that technically savvy. So I um, am honored that the young people of Loyola (laughs) know how to make this happen and know how to do it so that I can answer questions and uh, be in this medium. And I do have a, a relationship, a past relationship with Loyola's radio station. I mean, the communications department used to run a radio station called WLDC. It was an AM radio station. You could only hear it, I think, within one or two blocks of the campus and on the television monitors if you're on campus. And because I started off as an undergraduate at Loyola, I actually did a show. Before WWOZ, I did a show with two of my classmates. The show was called A Nostalgic Noise. And (laughs) um, Lisa and Laney, Lisa and Lainey, those were my girls. And they would come in and they play stuff like ABBA. And then I would play, you know, my, my funk records, you know. So, so we balanced each other out, but we had the same mission in mind. You know, I think maybe two or three people total heard that show. But that is what led me to the training that got me a part of WWOZ, which is a whole other story, but because I had my license to broadcast via Loyola, uh, at the time, WWOZ required new programmers to have this FCC license. And I already had one, thanks to Loyola. So, uh, so yeah, thanks, Loyola, because of this nostalgic noise show that I think three people tuned into 25 years later, I um, get to do what I do on WWOZ. And thanks, Lisa and Lainey, wherever you are. <laughs> Next question, what emotions drive your music choices? I like music and chords and keys that are happy and sexy. That might not make a lot of sense. It makes sense to me. Happy and sexy keys are the things that I am attracted to in all genres. And that's what I wind up playing. That's what I wind up listening to in my personal time. And I won't say even emotions, but more the sound, the keys of the recordings. The lyrics could be something completely different, but if the keys are either a happy key or a sexy key, then that is what I'm driven to. It's it's weird, I know how to explain it. One of my favorite artists, Laura Nero, used to describe her playing and other musicians playing in colors. She could not read music, but she would tell other musicians to play in blue or purple. So I understand things like that. So I'm into happy and sexy keys. All right, next up, we have a question from Jack. And he says, your recent tweet that you own No Whitney Houston Recordings got me curious about how you curate your collection. Can you explain your collection criteria? All right, I have two answers to that. One, collection criteria is very easy. I buy what I like. What I just described the happy and sexy key thing that is real and I listen to things before I buy them and that's what I look for that's what I like to listen to a lot of times I buy things and I don't know what they sound like but the songs on those LPs are going to be the things in happy sexy keys it's weird it's personal and it's subjective with everybody but That kind of explains what I like to listen to. Now, as my collection in general, I have thousands of (laughs) records. So I really, I don't know if I can, if, if I have a method to the, the criteria of everything, but I like to buy things that are soulful and, and generally I'm sticking with the 1970s through mid 1980s. There's some, some uh, difference with that. And then as far as the second answer to the question I do have one Whitney Houston recording. I have an album by Narada, Michael Walden, he was a drummer a legendary jazz drummer. He wound up being a big pop music producer, uh, produced Whitney Houston in the 1980s, big hits like um, Freeway of Love and things like that. Anyway, his first solo recording, not as part of a a jazz group, but on his own in 1976. Apparently, her first ever uh, recorded appearance right on a record Whitney Houston when she was a teenager her and her mother Sissy Houston in 1976 they sing background on his album and I have his album so yes I do have a Whitney Houston recording after all all right our next question are there any New Orleans artists specifically that influenced your love of music and interest in DJing okay I'll answer that in two parts. Uh, Wow. Woo. I mean, actually three parts. All of New Orleans artists, all New Orleans artists have influenced our way of life. Right. Because being in New Orleans is to essentially be influenced by music. Now, Specific artists that influenced my love of music from New Orleans. I'm going to call out the Meters. I'm going to call out the Meters, who are an integral band in the formation of, of funk music. As a popular art form, um, taking it all over the world, uh, bringing the New Orleans sound and the New Orleans funk sound all over the world. And this starts in the 1960s. And you cannot deny the influence of the meters. But for me personally, my dad had a, a, a copy of Fire on the Bayou, an album from 1975. And I was born in 1975, and I don't remember when this happened, but I had to have been four or five years old. I had a pet turtle, and I would play this album for my pet turtle. I put the turtle up to the stereo and play my pet turtle that Fire on the Bayou album by The Meters. I love that album so much. I love The Meters. They influenced me so much, but I, I just remember playing that album for my pet when when i was little and then any new orleans artists that influenced my love of djing there is a dj artist legendary that more people today need to know his name or remember his name his name is dj slick leo he is informally known as the grandmaster flash of New Orleans and of the South. He influenced a lot of people, DJs and musicians. And he was active in the late 1970s through the 1990s. A lot of people call him out by his work with the famous disco in the Early to mid-1980s, he had his own live music broadcast, live radio broadcast, and he would mix and blend and recreate and produce live on the spot for everyone to listen to and not just funk or disco or R&B but a lot of electro things bringing new things to New Orleans. The first time I ever heard any in Washington D.C. go-go was because of DJ Slick Leo and, and he is someone to, to look up uh, if you are interested in the history of DJ culture in New Orleans. Slick Leo. Another question. What advice do you have for young DJs coming up in the industry today? More specifically, young women DJing in New Orleans. Okay. Um, My advice is very real. I don't know how practical it is today, but I'm sticking by it because I believe in it. And I say that in New Orleans, right, because I don't know about DJing in the industry. I've always considered myself a DJ artist and and operating outside of a traditional DJ. So I believe in DJ artists who like music artists, live musicians, have something to share, have something to contribute artistically, energetically uh, through the mixes, through the music that is played. And my advice is to stick to what genre or style it is that you love other than that you're a human jukebox right you don't want to be that that's replaceable you want to be unique and be a specialist because when someone goes out to see an entertainer a true entertainer they want to see that person share their art otherwise they could just you know go somewhere corny and listen to corny things (laughs) and you know there's a space for that for those people that like that kind of thing but you don't want to be that right so that is my advice and as far as young women DJing be assertive stick to your guns stick to what you know I don't want to be pessimistic but know that if you go into things, there may be men uh, engineers or fellow DJs or promoters or club managers or whoever that may not take you quite seriously. And just know to stick to your guns be professional know what you're doing know your sound know your gear know what you're worth know what you need to do be assertive and stick to it all right I think that's it for this episode once again This has been Ask DJ Soul Sister. I am DJ Soul Sister and this special podcast produced by the fabulous students of the Loyola New Orleans Music Industry Studies Program. Produced also specifically by Beth Cohen and Emily Pauly. And don't forget. Send your questions for me to answer to askdjsoulsister at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. (laughs)